This is an SJC Radio production. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, it's really exciting now. We've got our first ever guest uh, on Pit Stop with Mr. Bird, and we're really lucky to be joined by Patrick Corey, who's the design office manager from Jaguar Racing Formula E team. Uh, and he's joining us today as well, I should say, uh, in a personal capacity. He's not talking on behalf of the team, uh, but he's uh, joined us, which is great. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Tom. Thank you very much for inviting me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. We've also still got uh, Ed, Joe, Max and Mr Bird with us as well. Uh, and I think, Ed, you're going to kick off with a uh, first question to ask Patrick. Yeah, so Patrick, for those listening who might not know much about Formula E, could you just explain what it is for us? Sure. Uh, Formula E is the first all-electric uh, racing category in the world. Um, it started seven years ago. We had our first race in Beijing in 2014. Um, at the time, uh, we had 20 teams, everyone had the same car, the, the same chassis, motor, inverter, battery, everything like that. And, and the championship kicked off as a, as a spec formula. Uh, since then, we're into a second generation of race car with increased battery capacity. Um, we make our, all the teams make and design their own powertrains, which is the motor, the inverter, the gearbox, the suspension and everything like that. Um, and uh, the cars have gotten faster, more efficient. The, the racing is spectacular and, and it's developed over those seven years. Um, the big thing about Formula E is that it's promoting uh, electric, electric vehicles. And the way we do that is uh, it's an all electric powertrain. We race in city centres where electric cars will first be used by, by the majority of people. Um, and uh, the, the unique thing about the racing is that if we were to race flat out for the course of the race, we, we, they don't give us enough energy to do that. Um, we have to, uh, the race distance is say 30% longer than what the cars will do. So we have to save energy during the race, which is a really complex thing. Um, and as well as the drivers racing the other cars in, in, in the field, they have to manage all these energy saving strategies and things like that as well. Uh, so it's quite a unique racing formula. It's certainly very competitive and close. Uh, I've worked in a few different motorsport categories and it's by far the most interesting from the engineering side. It's a, it's a great championship. Brilliant. Yeah, that sounds cool. I was going to come with a question. Um, um, Patrick, what, what, what other uh, motorsport fields have you, have you worked in uh, out of interest? 
I've uh, I've been in motor racing 25 years. Um, yeah. I was uh, I started in Australia. I'm, I'm from Australia, and uh, apart from starting racing go karts with my brother on weekends in between school, uh, when I was at university, I started working or helping out um, a Formula Ford team on weekends. And they did touring cars as well. And when I finished university, they gave me my first job in Australian touring cars. Uh, I worked for the Audi Sport Super Touring Team in Australia as well. And I did a bit of V8 supercars. Uh, then I moved to England where I started in Formula 3000. Uh, I worked in Formula 3000 was a great championship. Uh, in 2005, that changed to GP2, uh, which is the feeder to Formula One. I worked for the Supernova Racing Team over here in Norfolk. Um, I then moved to the Caterham GP2 team and then onto the Caterham F1 team. Uh, from uh, from the F1 team, I in 2014, I moved into Formula E, where I started working with Virgin Racing, and I was with them for the first two years. Uh, I should say, over my time, I've I've been a race engineer for almost all of these years. That's that's my core job, uh, my core skills, I guess. Um, when I started in Formula E, I was engineering Sam Bird for the first two seasons. And then from season three, I joined Jaguar Racing, uh, which is run by Williams Advanced Engineering over at Grove on the same site as the Williams F1 team. Um, I was a race engineer for the first two teams. First, sorry, I was a race engineer for the first two seasons that the team existed. And then I moved into the role of design office manager. Uh, we've got a crew of about 75 people in our team. Uh, less than 20 of those go to the racetrack. So the vast majority of them are in the workshop. Uh, and because we design and manufacture our whole powertrain, we've got a fairly big design office and I manage about a dozen designers there. Yeah. So I've, I've done quite a bit of race engineering. Um, I'm now factory based. I do a couple of races a year, testing and things like that. Um, yeah, it, it's great to see motor racing from a number of different points of view. Because it's it's a it's a very exciting world to live in, I guess. Uh, and uh, I guess the other advantage of being in Formula E is that the teams are small, so you get to have a hand in almost everything. Um, the job I do now is kind of right in the middle of it all, and I really enjoy that interaction with all the different areas of the team. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And just for people who don't know very much about Jaguar uh, Formula E team. Uh, could you describe a bit about the team? So who are the drivers there? Um, and also who's the, uh, you know, James Barkley, that sort of lot. Um, because I personally follow, I really enjoy watching them race. So for people who don't know, could you describe a little bit about uh, them to us, please? Yeah, of course. Um, there's kind of, uh, we are one team, but there's kind of two sides to the team. Uh, we've got the Jaguar side, of which James Barclay heads up that side, um, and all the marketing people. Maybe about 10 of those people come to the races, at, at five to 10 people, uh, and, and they're the Jaguar side of things. And then we have the technical side of the team, uh, which is people who are all employed by Williams Advanced Engineering. Um, this was, it used to be part of the whole Williams group of companies. There was the F1 team and Williams Advanced Engineering. It's now separate, we're our own company. Um, so Jaguar hired Williams Advanced Engineering to run the Formula E team for them. And so we design, manufacture and operate the cars all from our facility in Grove. Um, so there's, uh, as I said, there's about 75 people on that side of the team. Um, 
at the racetrack, uh, you see about 17 people. That's how many we're allowed to have. Um, the team started in 2016. Uh, it was the first manufacturer to commit to Formula E. And since then, many other manufacturers have committed. You can see all the big ones, Mercedes, Audi, Porsche, Nissan, you know, there's loads of them in there. And uh, Jaguar take this very seriously. It's a, uh, they, they, we all put in a, a huge amount of effort. We're in it to win, which we do, luckily sometimes. And, um, and, and it's, it's great being with them. Jaguar, Jaguar, a fantastic company to, to, to be in racing with. They really are proper racers. And, and I like that. Um, that. That's one of the reasons why I'm in this sport. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we, we started off in 2016 and uh, quite as, as quite a small team and we've we've grown from there yeah thank you um could you explain to us what your job is and how you and how that impacts race day sure um so my job at the moment is as design office manager so my i guess my input happens a lot before the cars get on track um we, uh, I manage a group of about a dozen designers. We've got a fantastic group of people, younger people, older people, less experience, more experience. We've got experts in their field, whether it's uh, suspension or composites or wh whatever, we cover everything. Um, and, uh, and we design everything from scratch. Uh, we, we don't buy our motors or inverters we design them from scratch. Uh, quite a few other teams actually buy their hardware in, but we do it all in-house. So I manage uh, the planning of all that, uh, long-term planning, short-term planning, uh, the work that happens. Um, I interact with a lot of other areas in the team. Um, I guess I'm the main link between the design office and the race team. So let's say we produce uh, a race car, we send it to the racetrack, um, then I have a lot to do with how it operates at the track and the feedback we get solving problems, uh, making things better and, and all that kind of stuff. So because we have to homologate our car at the start of each season, uh, which means um, we present it to the governing body, the FIA, and we present all the drawings and all the information and they say, right, that's your race car. It, it complies with the rules. We're locking it in. You cannot change it all season. Can't you know, you can adjust, you can make little adjustments and within the setup and things like that but we can't design a new motor and fit it halfway through the season. It's got to stay there. So the design office does their work. Um, we develop it, get it working, get it reliable uh, during testing in the pre-season. And then we send it to the racetrack and, and then we can't change it. We have to fix all the problems and all the things that come up in the meantime. Um, but we then move on to designing the next season's car. So we're actually already designing the car for not next year, the year after um, because it takes that long it takes that much work uh, to do these things yeah so um, I'm, I guess I'm just trying to bring all the design team together and align them with what the race team needs and what they want um, uh, to get the to get the best out of it to, to put the best race car on the track yeah brilliant and I know you touched on it earlier but um, could you explain the steps that you took to get where you are now and maybe what steps you would advise someone maybe our age to take to get into motorsport? Yeah, of course. Um, I like I like giving young people help on this because uh, I didn't actually have a lot of help 
when I was trying to do it myself. And uh, it was quite difficult. And I know how difficult it is. So um, the, the main thing, if, if you want to get into motor racing, is you've got to realise that there's really not that many people who get to do it. It's a very small industry. Um, and so And it's very competitive. It's a competitive industry because it, it's pure competition, but it's very competitive just to get in. So what you've got to do is show people that you're as good as everyone else and that you're willing to do what it takes to, to be successful. The way I did that, um, I when I was at university, I went to a racetrack. I, I was studying mechanical engineering, I should say, at the, the University of Sydney. I thought that would be my best bet, uh, and, and that was what I enjoyed doing. Um, I thought that would be a good pathway into racing. And uh, on my free weekends, I'd go out to the racetrack and I'd talk to people in teams, talk to the team managers and things like that, and just say, hey, can I help out? I'll, I'll do anything. And uh, a team took me on and I started cleaning wheels for a Formula Ford car and polishing the car and running around doing this and that. And on any spare weekend that I could, I had to fit it in with my studies. And then uh, gradually they'd let me do more and more uh, and did a few more races and things like that. And by the time I finished my degree, they offered me a job. So um, that, that was how I got into motor racing. I should say I'm very lucky that it was a small team because there's literally three people in the team. And that meant that I got to do everything um, out of necessity and just because you had to. So I learned a lot. I was working with really good people. They were good enough to take the time to teach me. And I learned a huge amount in, in that year that I spent with them. I then moved up to a better team, one of the top teams in Australia, which is called Brad Jones Racing. And they were running the Audi Super Touring cars. And, uh, and that's when I kind of became more focused. I became a data engineer and learned uh, what I needed to do, learned my trade, I guess, um, with a really professional team. And in the three years I spent with them, they promoted me to being a race engineer, which was very good of them to do it. You know, they chucked me in the deep end, but I was happy to be chucked in the deep end because uh, that's what you've got to do if you want to get anywhere. Um, I then realized, well, I'd realized for a while that I was limited on how far I could go in motor racing in Australia. In Australia, the biggest racing category is really the V8 supercars that race in the Bathurst 1000 and their, and their nationwide uh, championship. But I wanted to do single seaters. I wanted to do Formula One like every young motorsport engineer wants to. So I moved to England in the year 2000 and uh, I got myself a job in Formula 3000 as a data engineer. After a couple of years, they promoted me to race engineer. Um, so, so I took a step back. If I was a race engineer in Australia, I took a step back to learn and to learn more so I could solidly move up into being a race engineer. And, uh, and, and since then, you know, never looked back, I guess. Um, Formula 3000 cars uh, are really good. You know, it's a great championship, great category, fast cars, good aero tyres, all that kind of stuff. Um, that moved on into GP2, which was, again, a step bigger. Um, during that time, we had links with Formula 1 teams, and, um, and I got to learn a few things on that side of it. Um, and then eventually, uh, I was able to move into Formula 1 with Caterham. Um, although I wasn't a race engineer when I was there, I was doing a more a factory-based engineering role, which was still in within the race engineering team. Um, but uh, I guess you could say, unluckily, Caterham went south and, uh, and the team failed. But luckily for me, it opened the door to Formula E. And Formula E is the championship that 
I love more than anything. I better than F3000, GP2, Formula One, the whole lot. It's it's a fantastic championship from an engineer's point of view, I should say, because what we've got is we've got a rate of development that's huge within Formula E, but the teams are still really small. So you're doing loads and loads of stuff. You have exposure to all areas of the team and, and that's really fun and really challenging. Yeah, so to come back to your original question, what do you need to do to get into motor racing? I guess try and figure out what you want to do, whether you want to be an engineer or a mechanic or the marketing side of it, the money, the financial side of it. There are lots of different aspects to it. And then get in touch with teams and, and try and get some experience with them. Uh, don't be scared. Send emails. Um, it's always best to see people in person. If you can get to a racetrack and somehow actually talk to people and, uh, and, and let them know how interested you are in, in working in motor racing, uh, then go for it. There's a lot of degrees you can do as well within England, um, specifically aimed at motorsport, and these these are very good. When we look for placement students within our company, we look at people who are doing these degrees and who are doing things like formula student. Um, you, you learn a lot from doing things like that, and uh, and it shows that you're committed to doing uh, that little bit extra. Um, so if you can make yourself stand out from the crowd, and, and do that bit extra work with the team on weekends, that's a big step to helping you get a job in motor racing. Great. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, uh, is there anything that you've changed about Formula E? And if so, what would that be? Yes. Um, <laughs> there's only one thing, actually. And what I would change is the qualifying format. Uh, you said before, Joe, that you watch the races. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. The qualifying is unlike anything else in motorsport, Correct. I believe, isn't it? Yeah, so the, the way they do it, they divide the, the grid into four groups and they take the top six in the championship and they go out first. They've got a four minute session and you can do one flying lap. And then after that, they take the next six in the championship and they give them a four minute session and so on. They do four groups. So the problem is, is that for the first group, the track is in a really bad way i guess it's not in the best way and they the guys in the first session are basically cleaning the track for the other groups and what it tends to do is it puts those first six drivers right at the back of the grid uh, so it, it punishes you for your success i guess um problem is it's just a really harsh punishment and um and at every race the the top six in the championship they go out first every single time and we've had it once or twice where maybe um, maybe the track has been, uh, maybe it's rained halfway through the session. And therefore, that would put those guys in the first session right at the front, which is not a problem. Um, and we understand that Formula E do like to, they want to mix it up a bit. They want the fastest guys. They don't want them at the front. They want them in the middle or the back. And we, we all know that makes for fantastic racing. But what I would like to see is those four groups get chosen in a random order and and say one race the top six in the championship might go first at the next race they might be the third group along or the fourth group that kind of thing and then that would give everyone a go at going first or last but the important thing is you keep those six together and it's, you want the guys who are in the top six fighting against each other and the next six fighting against each other so having said all that um formula e are going to change that next year for next season 
they're going to we're not sure what they're going to do i'm sure they're going to keep it difficult for the teams because they do like to make things difficult for us but that's all right we like a challenge um yeah but, but apart from that i must say i think formula e get lots and lots of things right because uh w when it came out in the beginning a lot of people looked at it and thought hang on a minute this is I don't know if this is going to be successful. I don't know if Formula E is going to be any good because it, it was motor racing, but not quite as we know it. But then they did some things that were really quite quite fresh and different and like particularly racing in city centres. That, that's just fantastic. When I've spent many years going to fantastic tracks like Spa and Monza and Barcelona and all those fantastic tracks, but to race in the middle of Hong Kong, or the middle of Paris, um, New York, you know, that, that, that's absolutely brilliant. So there, there's a lot of things that Formula E does do right. Yeah. I was just wondering that if you didn't work for Jaguar, I'm not sure the qualifying format would be your biggest pet peeve of it, because then you'd be, work, you'd be uh, qualifying at a higher point. It's because I think consistently both the drivers have been in the top six. So I'm wondering that I think that's the only reason you dislike it is because you've been, as you say, successful in you're almost being punished for that. But I think I like that because it means no race is going to be the same. It, I, I, it never is. Yeah. Um, so that, that's what keeps me interested in it. And it was amazing when Jacob got that front row lockout earlier this year, which is extremely difficult to do in that sort of standout, yes. isn't it? So Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Was... Yeah. It, that, that's a very good point that you make. And yeah, I'm seeing it totally from the team's point of view, from you know, we do all that hard work. And if we're quickest in practice one and practice two, then you want to get that front row lockout. You want to go on and win the race. From Formula E's point of view and the fans' point of view, it's great to have different people up there. Um, so, and, and I think we've had 10 or 11 different winners this season, uh, which is amazing. Um, how many different winners have they had in Formula One or in other categories and, and things like that? And, but, it's important, I should say, it's great having lots of different winners, but you don't want it to be artificial. Yeah. And yeah. you don't want, we don't like artificial things. People want real racing. They want to see what the driver can do, what the team can do. And I don't think what Formula E doing is too artificial. I think they're just being really quite tough on us. And they're saying, hey, guys, deal with it. And, and we are, we've got to cope with it. Um, but, but all those 11 drivers who won races this year, they are all worthy winners. And the depth of field, the quality of drivers in Formula E is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Um, can I ask, when did you decide you wanted to be a race engineer? Oh, good question, Max. Um, I, I probably... Probably when I found out what a race engineer was, <laughs> because the job of race engineer hasn't existed forever. Um, I started watching Formula One when I was a teenager. Ayrton Senna was my hero. And when he won a race, I felt fantastic. And uh, I just loved watching him race. And, and that got me into it. Um, this is late 80s, early 90s. That's the period of Formula One that I really like. And then I realized I liked the technical side of it. Um, I started racing go-karts with my brother and uh, we had a local track called Rally just near where we lived and I'd race and he'd race and, and I wasn't that good a driver. I, I was okay, but my brother was a lot better than me. And what I found was um, if I was the mechanic and he was the driver, 
we tended to have quite a bit of success. And I found I enjoyed winning just as much if I'd prepared the go-kart than, you know, even if my brother was driving it. So I think that's when I realised I wanted to be on the technical side of things. Um, and uh, I, I guess, yeah, once I started working with, with race teams, I, I found out what the role of race engineer actually was and, and realised that I think I'd really like to do that job. It's quite a unique role, race engineer. It's not it's certainly not for everyone. Um, it's a very high pressure job. You're kind of at the centre of things. So, so you're watching on TV, you see the driver. But within that garage, the race engineer is really the person in the middle of all that when it's going on. So you're stood there, you've got your performance engineer on one side of you, you've got your, your chief engineer on the other side of you. People are feeding you information because you're the one that then communicates to your driver. You're the only one who communicates to your driver. You've got to take in all the information, everything that's going on around you, and you've got to make the decisions really quickly. And you've got to get it right too. So yeah, no pressure. Um, but so in yeah. that garage, the, the, the race engineer is the real focal point. Um, and, and I used to really enjoy that. There's nothing better than, than standing at your monitors on the pit wall or in the garage during the race, uh, calling your strategy, sorting out problems uh, and making it happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic job. Lot, lots of people, everyone wants to be a race engineer. <laughs> yeah, I do sometimes feel bad for you, though, because often when there's a, a crash or a collision that isn't the driver's fault, you often bear the brunt of their um, anger, <laughs> which, <laughs> which sort of feel, feel uh, for you there because you've done nothing towards that. But um, they're always having a go at you. Uh, you, but, you're, ex yeah. you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I've caught plenty of stuff on the radio, but you've got to understand that the, the drivers are, are massively um, worked up and, and I mean, they've got a lot of pressure on themselves in the car, um, whether it's external pressure, but usually pressure that they're putting on themselves because they're, they're, they're operating at that level of, of being an athlete, I guess. Um, and yeah, if, if things don't go right, if, you know, if they make a mistake, you're going to cop it. If you make a mistake or someone in the team makes a mistake, well, then you're the conduit for that and, and it's going to be directed through you. And, and one of the hardest things to do is to try and calm a driver down. Let's say you've had a big problem, but the race is still going and, and there's still something to be gained by finishing the race. You've got to try and um, calm your driver down and get him going. So uh, half of or a big portion of the job of being a race engineer is being a psychologist. And I've never been trained in that, but you learn a lot very quickly. Uh, every driver you work with has a completely different personality and um, and it's a, it's a big part of the job because in the end, you've got this machine that should work uh, in theory, uh, you know, as it were, it should work in practice as it, as it should work in theory, but then you've got this human being operating it. And, and as we know, human beings can do anything. They can perform like a superstar on one day and they can have a really bad day the next day. And it's the race engineer's job to try and get the best performance out of that driver and out of that vehicle. Yeah. It, when I started in Formula E, I was I started engineering Sam Bird, um, who who is with our team now, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I'd never met Sam before I started with Virgin. In fact, the night before I started, I met Sam. Uh, we were at Donington. I'd never been there before. I'd not seen the Formula E car before. I, I came in very late, and and we were kind of chucked in the deep end. And uh, I, we had a podium in our first race and we won our second race. And it was an absolute pleasure working with Sam. Him and I just really clicked. 
and uh, we understood each other. We got up to speed with each other very quickly on, on the communication side of things and, and had a fantastic time working together. Yeah, and, and that doesn't happen all the time. It can be quite rare for that to happen, uh, but, it, but it's an absolute pleasure when you get into that situation, when you're working with someone so talented and so driven and, and someone who pushes you just as hard as they push themselves. Yeah. Nice. So what would your average race weekend look like? Uh, the, the average Formula E race weekend is, is a difficult weekend uh, because it's so compressed. So um, picture you've, you've just flown halfway around the world to somewhere. Um, you get your you unpack everything on the Wednesday morning and you haven't seen anything since the end of the last race because our freight doesn't come back to base in between races. It pretty much goes away at the start of the season and we get it back at the end of the season. We don't see it in the middle because they keep the travel to a minimum to, to try and uh, you know save the planet. So, um, so Wednesday morning, you set up the garage, you get all the race cars out, all the equipment out, the mechanics immediately start building everything up, servicing everything, what they need to do. Um, on the Thursday, you're doing more preparation, uh, setting the car up, doing the scrutineering, and, uh, and, and I should say that the engineers, the engineering crew, they'll have done a huge amount of work in preparation before they've even gotten on the plane to fly to the track. Um, it's big, long days. You're working from very early to very late. By the time we get to Friday, uh, we have a, a shakedown session usually in the afternoon, which is just a quick 15 minute session. The cars are allowed to do three laps each. And this is to check that the cars are all OK, uh, that the timing systems are working, television, the track, marshals, everything like that. It's just to check the whole event, um, because by Saturday morning, uh, you're starting early. You're at the track at 6 a.m. Um, and then you do a practice one session, uh, which is an hour, a 45 minute practice two session, and then you're qualifying at midday. And by about uh, 4 p.m. you're racing and it's all compressed into that one day. When, when you do other categories, say you're doing Formula One, you do two practice sessions on Friday and then you do a third practice on Saturday morning and then you do qualifying and you got Friday night, you've got Saturday night to go over all the data and analyze everything and figure out what you're going to do. And by Sunday, you're ready to do the race. We don't have that luxury in Formula E. You just go bang, bang, bang from one session to the next. You've got to get over your problems, uh, figure out your solutions and, and go straight into the racing. And then uh, a lot of times we do double headers. In fact, almost all races this season were double headers. Uh, so at the end of the Saturday night, you're absolutely exhausted. Uh, and then you come back in the next day and you do it all again. Yeah, it's a very intense weekend and, and exhausting. They do have a curfew system so to, to make sure that the people working do get some rest. You've got to be out by 11 p.m. Uh, but then you're usually up at, say, 5 a.m. the next morning to get to the track and uh, and start work again. Um, Max, you're down for the next question, but I think I've answered that answer. one already. So yeah. I, if I move on to uh, Patrick, I've got a, a question from uh, my brother, actually, who is a big Formula E fan. Um, mm -hmm. It's quite a lengthy question. Uh, so, so please uh, bear with me. Here we go. He says uh, Formula E is a spec chassis and aero formula with the only development of the motors and gearboxes available to manufacturers and teams. In the early days of Formula E, plans to open up aero stroke chassis developments by teams was shelved in favour of maintaining the spec formula. 
As an engineer, do you think Formula E would benefit from opening up some of these areas for development by manufacturers and teams, or is it best left as a spec chassis aero formula solely focused on drivetrain development? It is definitely best left just as the drivetrain development, uh, and I'll give you my reasons why. Hmm. Um, if you, the, the, One of the reasons we have so many great manufacturers in Formula E is because it's just about the powertrain. It's about the parts in the race car that translate directly to the road cars they're selling. None of their road cars have aerodynamics, anything like a race car. Um, they don't run carbon brakes. They don't have all these, you know, they don't make single seater road cars. Um, but the motors, the inverters, um, the battery technology, um, and particularly the software that we're running can all be translated directly to road cars. And that's the reason why Formula E has so many manufacturers. Um, earlier, I listed what did I say: Jaguar, Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Porsche, Nissan. Uh, there's Mahindra. There's oh, there's one or two others that are you know these are all big manufacturers. Um, and how many do we have in say in Formula One? Do we have two or three manufacturers? Or in uh, endurance racing, the Le Mans 24 Hours? They've basically got Toyota. Um, that Formula E has made itself very attractive to all the big manufacturers and that makes for a healthy championship and that makes for great racing and 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 the manufacturers are only in it because they know they'll get something from it they get good advertising they can develop their product and, and things like that um, but I'll give a really good example of why it's great to keep these things as a spec formula um, let's say aer aerodynamics is a great example in Formula One, the, the top thing for performance, the number one on your list is aerodynamics, without a doubt. It's probably numbers one, two, and three on your list. It's so dominant. Um, and if the team has twice the amount of money as, as another team, then they can simply do more or more efficient, better aero development than the other, and they'll beat them hands down every single race without a problem. So does that make the racing better? Probably not. Does it mean that the team with less money, uh, maybe, you know, maybe are they less talented than the guys with twice the money? No, the, the engineers are probably just as talented in all the different teams I've worked for. It's, they're just full of talent everywhere. People are really good. They know what they're doing. But if one team has more money to spend on aero, then they're going to win all the races. And then the bottom line is what we learn in aerodynamics is that then passed on to the manufacturers that are in Formula One. Uh, unfortunately not. So Mercedes road cars yes, don't yes. use anything to do with, with, the, with the aero development that they do on the Formula One cars. Let's take the same example and put it in Formula E. Our big area of development is software. Um, do you remember before I mentioned that we homologate the car and we can't change it over the course of the season? So that's the mechanical side of it, the physical nuts and bolts, the MGU, the motor, the inverter, all that kind of stuff. But what we can do over the season is develop the software and we're allowed a certain number of upgrades at re regular intervals throughout the season. And even if we start with a certain motor and inverter at the start of the season, by the end of the season, we will have more efficiency out of that and more performance simply from all the software development that we do. So there's no physical cost. There's no, you, there's no mm -hmm. bearings or lubrication that we've improved or anything like that. We do it all in software. And that software is directly relatable to the road car industry and what goes out 
in Jaguar's road cars. So we're actually really proud of the fact that we're making motoring in the world a better place from our the war that we're having on on software and, and the constant work that we're doing. Um, it, it's not being wasted. It's actually useful. And, and that, that's a really nice thing to have, I guess. Um, in Formula One, you know, God, the people work hard and, and they work so hard to find four points of downforce, which is a tiny <laughs> amount. Um, and, uh, you know, you work all day, all night and you'll do you'll find a gain on the car and then you'll find every other team. They've found four or five or six points of downforce, too. So you don't make a gain order and uh, and everyone's working really, really hard. So it's just really nice when you're doing something that's actually got a, an end goal to it and, and can go through. Um, for sure, what we're doing, we're improving motors and inverters and the software and all the things that are going to end up on road cars. This is a real technology transfer from from what we're developing and making better in racing. You guys will end up driving it on the road without a doubt. Yeah, it's a really nice way to be. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that, Patrick. I've got. Just uh, um, oh, Joe, jo, do, do you want to come with a question there, Joe? Sorry. Oh no, no. Um, I, I've Sorry, got. No, you... uh, Oh, no. <laughs> I'll go. Right. Here we go, uh, Patrick. Um, I've just thought of this question. Um, do you still enjoy watching motorsport in your free time? <laughs> um, I don't get time, <laughs> oh, right. unfortunately. I actually I, I haven't I haven't watched Formula One for many, many years. Um, I first. I, I first stopped watching Formula One uh, when Ayrton Senna died in 1994. Actually, I kind of came back into it a bit, and I liked it when I when I specifically knew people in it. Um, because say when when you engineer drivers in F3000 GP2, they move up, and and plenty of my drivers have gone to Formula One, and and it's really Name nice some. to. Sorry. Name, Name some. Drivers have you managed that are now in Formula One or used to be in Formula One? Oh, okay. Um, all right, uh, Mark Webber, um, Tiago Montero, um, a, a number of drivers have kind of skirted on the edges of Formula One, like Jose Maria Lopez, uh, Adam Carroll, um, uh, like Sam Bird, for example, was a Mercedes test driver for, for many years and, and things like that. Uh, Guido Vandergaard, um, I'll, I, I didn't engineer him at a race, but I was lucky enough to engineer Michael Schumacher at a test once which was pretty cool <laughs> and um uh, he before you, you know he left formula one in 2006 uh yeah. having won everything and then he came back in 2010 uh when he was which he came back with mercedes so at the time i was working for supernova racing in gp2 and we were associated with braun uh which well we were associated with honda which became braun which became mercedes the brackley guys lovely bunch of guys and so Michael was coming back, wanted to drive the car again. And in the meantime, he'd been racing motorbikes and he hurt his neck. He had a bit of an accident and, and he, his neck. So he'd been working for quite a while to improve the, the strength of his neck because you need really good neck strength in Formula One and fast cars. So they organized to, to drive our GP2 car um, in at Hereth for a three day test. And uh, and I got to engineer him, which was really cool. So um, yeah, he's a lovely guy. I, we did everything in preparation. Um, where I went to the Brackley factory to help do the seat fit and everything like this. 
And I remember that was the first time I met him. And I remember he was actually wearing his Ferrari overalls, which was quite funny. Um, <laughs> and for, for a guy who at the time, I think he was 38 or 39 years old, uh, unbelievably fit. And, um, you know, and he hadn't raced a car for four years or whatever. Uh, and, and a really nice guy, too. We went out for dinner a number of times with, you know, myself, the team and, and just chatted away. And um, but I do remember specifically uh, on that first day of the test when he got in the car and he hadn't driven a fast, a high powered, high downforce car for quite a while. Uh, and he was he was a bit quiet before then. But when he got out of the car, it, you could see he was just he was home. He loved it. <laughs> He, he was so happy to be in a fast race car again. Um, and we did three days of testing. Uh, a lot of it was wet, which was a shame, uh, but it dried up for the final afternoon. Um, actually, I'll, I'll, and one other, I'll tell one little other story. We, in the end, we did three three long runs to kind of help with his endurance um, because the, the GP2 cars only run a shorter race. They don't race for two hours like Formula One. So we did three stints of say 25 laps. Um, and and sent him out on this and um in the in the first run he did a, a lap time he did let's say he did a one minute 23.0 it banged in a really nice quick lap and then on the next lap he did a 24 0 24.1 24.2 24.1 he did he kept his next 20 laps within three tenths which was phenomenal no gp2 driver that i knew at the time could get even close to that he's consistent and so this is with the tires going off and the fuel load lightning so normally uh you would go quicker because the fuel load is lightning but you would go slower because uh, the tires are going off and that's the dominant factor so your lap times get slower and slower he banged in 20 laps within a few tenths which was phenomenal he came in, we fitted a new set of tyres, fueled the car up. He went out again. He did exactly the same and the whole lot half a second quicker. And then he did it again. And it, I've never seen anything like it. I, I've never met a driver with such acute feel, such sensitivity of a race car. Um, it was absolute pleasure working with the guy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a real highlight. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have done that. Yeah. Um, to come back, what what was your what was the original question? The, the original question was, um, do you still watch motorsports? <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, having when I've got people in it that I know, um, it, I find it really nice to watch, and I've kind of got someone to to cheer for and, and that kind of thing. Um, more recently, I have well, I haven't watched Formula One for a few years. I guess I'll watch Monaco um, or watch Melbourne. I like to watch. Melbourne, the first race of the year when it's when it's on um, and, and a bit like that. And I'll keep an eye on things or I might watch the five minute highlights. But it's been a while since I've sat down and actually watched a, a full Grand Prix. Yeah. But as opposed to the Formula E races, um, because I'm not traveling to the races now, I'm sat at home with my wife and two children and we are literally shouting and screaming at the TV <laughs> when Mitch takes the lead or Sam or whatever, or it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's, it's nice to have someone to cheer. Yeah. I was just uh, wondering what is the best and what is the worst part of your job? And also, uh, if you have any job in motorsport that isn't your current one, what would it be? Oh gosh, these are all very good questions. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's start with the best part. Uh, 
winning a race. There's nothing like winning a race. And there's nothing like winning a race at the track. Um, so I've experienced both. Both I've been, you know, trackside for decades, um, but I've also had, uh, you know, working from the factory with the design office. So it's a whole different kind of thing. When you win the race at the track, there is just no feeling like it. On that day, you've done your job better than all the other guys in the pit lane, who are all awesome. Everyone in every team, they're all so good. Even the smallest teams, the people are so talented and they work so hard. It, you know that across the board, the, the level is very high. So you know the driver knows he's beaten the other guys. You know, as a race engineer, you've beaten the other race engineers that day, and there is nothing like it. It is absolutely fantastic, um, and and that's what drives you. When when you do that, you just want it more and more and more, and you keep working these ridiculous hours and and to to get what you want. Um, the worst part, I guess, is when you lose the race. But it's particularly when, say, you get crashed out on the first lap of the race, and apart from um, you know, something's happened when, apart from that, you would have a perfectly good race car. It, it's it's full, it's ready to go, the tyres are new, it's the drivers, you know, everything's ready. It's got all that potential, like on the grid before the race, you've got huge potential of what you could achieve over the next hour, over the next race. And when that's taken away in an instant, it's just gutting because you've done all the work to get to that point and it's been pulled from underneath yeah. you if, if it's out of your control, of course. And yeah, that that's I guess that's the worst one. That that's a that's a killer. And somehow you got to you just got to pick yourself up and get on with it. Um, I guess the bottom line is motor racing can be very cruel, <laughs> but any any competitive sport is the same. So yeah. Um, and uh, what role would I have if I couldn't if I wasn't doing my current job now? Oh, that's yeah. that's a tricky one. There there are so many good jobs um, within motorsport. Uh, and it depends what you like. Um, I guess I could say I'd like to be a race driver, but <laughs> because everyone everyone wants to be a race driver, don't they, at the start? And then you realise, oh, actually, those guys are really, really good, and I'm not that good. <laughs> and uh, so maybe I'll be an engineer instead. Um, I, but I don't, I don't know if I would want to be a driver. Um, the, the role of a driver is is really, really hard. Like, you know how I said, as a race engineer, you're kind of the focal point. Um, the driver, even more so. They they cop it like you would not believe. They have so much pressure on them. Everyone wants a piece of them. Um, and, and as well as that, the industry is very cutthroat. And particularly when you get to the heights of Formula One, uh, you'll get chewed up and spat out. And, and you could be one of the most talented guys out there. Um, but particularly when, when you get to the big money side of it, of like Formula One, if uh, if you're super talented and you've got money or backing to get you where you want to get to, you'll be fine. If you're super talented, but you've got no money, you'll never get anywhere. And I've worked with many drivers who are so talented. I'll give you a good example. Um, Adam Carroll. He's won races in every race car he's pretty much sat in. Every championship he's done super talented guy um i'll never forget when we were in nurburgring and we started uh, he got knocked out and we were last and he came through the entire field to finish second um he did that again in istanbul that year actually he it, he's a fantastic racer but throughout the whole of his career never had any money to support himself or to push himself higher up the ladder so it's it's really brutal uh when you get like that so 
Um, so I'm going to say no to being a race driver. And uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if I can pin it down. Uh, technical director sounds like a great role, but it's uh, it's a lot about it's a lot about people and um, and and putting it all together. There's like for example, the designers in my group, um, they just love to design. They love to be creative. Uh, they're not they're not worried about administration and all the other kind of stuff. No, they just want to be creative and get their awesome ideas out of their head and onto that race car. Um, everyone has different motivations. I, I don't think I can actually choose something else I want to do. There's there's so many. There's too many to list. Yeah, it's a too rich an environment. Yeah. Are there any that you're particularly interested in? I don't know. I think I've always, as everyone has, being a driver would be amazing, but I don't have the skill whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I'd be a bit scared as well. Formula One cars are going pretty quick yeah. as well. Um, um, but yeah, probably probably if I had to pick a driver, but you know, it's unrealistic. Um, but your job, you've made it sound very enticing, very exciting. <laughs> And media as well that looks pretty interesting too so yeah, definitely doing, but just on a very big scale yeah, yeah i think i think in terms of driver the closest i would get would be in esports because uh yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm used to everywhere else <laughs> it's uh i guess like any top athlete um when, when you work with these guys you realize how good they actually are uh, and they are to get to that level to get to formula one formula e uh, it, it's phenomenal. These guys are so good, you can't imagine. If people think they're just sitting there driving a car, uh, it's it's nothing like that. It's um, like like any top level sports person. And actually, that's another thing we really like about Formula E. There aren't any pay drivers in Formula E. In Formula One, you've got a certain percentage, maybe the bottom third, I guess, uh, drivers that bringing money to to drive, and they're excellent drivers. I won't detract from that, but they have to bring. 10 million, 20 million pounds, that kind of thing to get their drive. And that means other drivers who might be a bit more talented miss out because they can't bring the funding with them. Well, that doesn't happen yeah. in Formula E. Every driver is there on merit. And that's probably, that's another reason why we have so many race winners. They're, they're, the quality of drivers is just so high and, and that's why it's so competitive. Yeah. I think the issue is it looks a bit too easy on the TV. I think they need to... Uh... <laughs> need to make it look harder yes yeah um, question from me is what is uh or when was your earliest motorsport memory oh good question okay i think i think it was watching the 1987 adelaide grand prix um right <clears throat> watching senna in his yellow lotus at the time uh i think Berger won it in his ferrari if i remember correctly um, and, and that's when I, <laughs> you're not again. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. It's was a great period. The late 80s and early 90s for me was a, a fantastic period. And I'm lucky enough to know some people who were working in Formula One at the time and uh, and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm near Norwich and I've lived here since I've been in England. And a lot of people around, like there's a fair bit of motorsport around here. But for example, Senna raced was with Van Diemen, who are over here. Um, Senna lived in a house ten minutes from where I live. Um, and guys that I've worked with, they knew him. They engineered him. They they did stuff with him back then. Um, 
I know a very good friend of mine was Roland Ratzenberger's race engineer. Uh, and he was a race engineer in those late 80s, early 90s and all that, which I would have, if I could go back in time, I'd do that. It'd be fantastic. And you get to meet all these fantastic people who were around then and, and worked with all these wonderful people and, and fantastic cars and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I know I said before, I, I don't watch Formula One much these days, um, but I'd happily watch 92 Monaco or 91 Brazil or you know things like that there, there's some uh, great old races out there and if you haven't watched them i'd thoroughly recommend them <laughs> yeah thank you for that that was really interesting that uh, that's my questions over i think i bombarded you enough but yeah <laughs> that's all right they're all great questions it's i'm really enjoying this <laughs> can i ask a question yeah, yeah, of course. Nice one. So, it, what what year are you all in at school? We're all going into year eleven now. Okay. So, does your school do the F one in schools thing? Uh, I've seen it in other schools, but we don't do it. Okay. I think. Are you guys interested enough to to do that? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Because yeah. I've seen I've had involvement once with uh with a, a school in Norwich. Uh, and they were doing F1 in schools and the and the people in the team were so keen and they were exactly like you guys. They were right into their motor racing. They knew all about it um, and they dived into it head first and, and they did really well. In fact, I think they they won the UK finals one year or something like that. They, and this is a big competition. There's a lot of schools that do F1 in schools. Um, I, I'd encourage you to get into it and, and have a go. I think you might really enjoy it. Uh, it's not just making it, so what it's based on is you make a little car um, and it's uh, you have one of those little gas cylinders that they use to carbonate drinks and things like that. And you have a track that's maybe 10 meters long and you fire your car down this track and there's another car alongside it and you're racing like this. It only takes a couple of seconds for it to, to get the 10 meters, but you've got to design your car for a minimum weight, some aerodynamics, low friction, all this kind of stuff. But there's other aspects, too, where you've got to try and get some partners, uh, you know, to sponsor you and to, you know, put some stickers on the car and things like that. And you've got to do some marketing and some it's the whole it's the whole range of things that kind of reflect what we do in motor racing. Um, you guys all seem so keen. I, I think you might really enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank I you. Suggest that yeah. to headmaster. headmaster. <laughs> no harm in asking yeah yeah that's what we need to we need to set up thank you so much patrick for coming and talking to us all uh also before i finish i'm surprised your your job role for all of you wasn't a motorsport podcast presenter why is not that your true <laughs> why not it's, it's anyway it's, it's easy it's just having a chat about something that i love it's very easy <laughs> but thank you so much patrick for coming on uh it's been fascinating uh hearing everything from you and I know all the, the boys and Mr Bird and myself have uh, loved hearing from you so thank you so much. Thank you Tom, thank you everyone else, I've really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. you. Brilliant. Thanks. No worries, no worries at all. I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll listen to your podcast regularly in the future. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pit Stop with Mr. Bird. There's a few new things I want to make you aware of. We've got a new website, which you can find by going online to shows.acast.com forward slash pitstop, where you can also find links to our Twitter and uh, on the About page, more information about the hosts as well. We're also on lots more platforms in addition to where you're listening to us now. So we're now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music and lots more, as well as TuneIn like we've been on since we started so head over to those platforms to subscribe on the most convenient one for you and find all our back catalogue of episodes to listen to again as well